friends and April Fools, I guess. It's not actually April when I'm recording this, but it will be by the time the episode goes live. So I'm sure that Twitter is full of really annoying fake products and fake news stories. And we're all already exhausted with April Fools jokes. The good news is I don't have any here, just two fantasy queries today. I've noticed that my fantasy episodes tend to be really popular. I guess there's a lot of people writing fantasy. So hopefully these will be good queries for a lot of you fantasy writers out there. And if you don't write fantasy, I think there's still a lot to learn about structure and world building and introducing characters. It's a really good pair. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. Very excited to have you here, of course. And I hope you'll take some time to look back through the old episodes to find queries that are in your genre or maybe a genre you're not writing, but you just want to learn more about. So let's get started with query number one. Our first query today comes from Lou. Thank you, Lou. As usual, I will read the whole query and then go paragraph by paragraph with notes and thoughts. Dear Agent, for Personette, a lavender-haired, sweet yet determined 24-year-old seer, the steam-powered post-apocalyptic kingdom of Daiwin is home. As an enchanted asset for an organization known only as Mother, members of the Hybrid and Enchanted People's Registrar, she aids in collecting other magical beings. Since she was eight years old, Personette, or Percy, as she is known to those close to her, has lived with the guilt of sending people just like her to spend the rest of their days in mother's labor camps. But when her handler, Gothel, informs her that Percy will be going out into the field for a collection, she decides it's time to take a stand. Now she must find a way to hide her attempts to aid the enchanted or risk being sent to the camps herself. Will Percy be able to overcome her fear of mother and find her strength in enough time to save herself and others? Manu Kelly, captain of the Defiant Duchess, is 26 years old and hasn't seen enough excitement. Thank you very much. His charismatic smile and flamboyant sense of style earned him a place among the uprising, but his fickle and irresponsible nature has seen to it that their leader doesn't much trust him. So when he's given the mission of working side by side with mother asset Personette to hinder the collection effort, he finds himself in a little over his head. Now he must do everything in his power to help Percy maintain her cover. Oh, and prove to the Uprising unit aboard his ship that he's capable. If his first mission with the Uprising turns out to be a failure, he could lose his ship, and Percy could lose her life. Will he be able to keep his growing feelings for Personette in check long enough to get Ivy, the unit's leader, and her unit off the ship? Or will this new burden be too much for him? The Girl in the Clockwork Tower is a steampunk new adult fantasy novel of 80,000 words with serious potential. It explores issues of racism, humanity, and growing into the role fate has given you. The unique characters, witty dialogue, and fantasy meets steampunk world make this fresh take on the classic tale of Rapunzel a must-read for fans of Marissa Meyer's Lunar Chronicles and Gail Carriger's Parasol Protectorate series. Thank you for your consideration. All right, so we'll climb back up to the top, that's a Rapunzel joke, and get started. So in the first paragraph, we meet Personette. She's lavender-haired, sweet yet determined, and she works for Mother. So I am nothing if not a fan of lavender hair. Uh, this opening gives us a lot of good information. The first sentence with its M-dash aside packs in a lot about Personette, her appearance, her temperament, her age. Then we go on to learn that she's an enchanted asset, what she does as a result, and how this makes her feel. All good. 
However, I think this paragraph could go just a bit further into demonstrating the goal, motivation, and conflict. It's almost as though we have the motivation and conflict, but not really the goal. We know Percy is sweet and determined by nature, which surely contributes to her motivations. And we know that she feels guilty about what she does, which certainly presents a kind of conflict. It's just the middle part that's missing. What does she want that isn't this guilt-inducing mission? Even if it's as simple as escaping mother's clutches, it would be good to have that written out. The author could just add one more sentence to the end, the effect of Percy would much rather be doing X and Y, but Z, but you know, better written. Then I have two small language level notes. I wonder what exactly post-apocalyptic means here. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to understand that we're in our world, but after a disaster or an entirely different world. Also, I think it's fine just to jump in and start calling Personette Percy and not explain that it's her nickname because I think the reader will be able to intuit that that's a nickname for her. Now we learn that Percy is going out into the field for collections at Goffel's behest, but she decides to take a stand. So this paragraph has two sentence constructions I love. We have the but when and a now she must do X or risk Y. Longtime listeners for the past 14 and a half episodes will know that I'm a fanatic about these forms, and it's because they're efficient. Query letters are short. This one's only about 330 words. They can go up to, I don't know, five, maybe 600, but they're not long. So every sentence has to have muscle and move things forward. Flat descriptions and statements just suck up airtime and don't really move anything forward. So here, nice work. I wouldn't make major changes to the structure. I do think clarifying the goal, as I mentioned for paragraph one, would help just intensify the stakes of this paragraph too. If we know specifically what Percy wants, we can see how this new turn of events threatens that goal. Also, I could use a little more clarity on what a collection entails. It seems that the big change in this paragraph is that Percy is now going into the field instead of staying at the command center, but I wasn't totally clear that she hadn't been going into the field before. The name collection just made me think that she was there. Granted, it's very much implied that she's cloistered given that this is a Rapunzel retelling, but I think the reader still needs a little more clarity on what is so big about this new mission Gothel has given her and why that changes the name of the game. Also, the rhetorical question at the end of this paragraph might not even be necessary. The now she must X or risk Y sentence really communicates the same unspoken question, but the structure is stronger. The rhetorical question is a yes or no question, which isn't generally the strongest form for a rhetorical question to take, and I'm not really a huge fan of rhetorical questions in general. So I'd suggest the author bundle the terms of the question into that now she must sentence. Overcoming her fear of mother is part of what Percy has to do to aid the enchanted, so it can get woven in there. And the other reason I suggest cutting out that question is that it feels too conclusive, like we're about to end the query, and as we know, there's more to come. Specifically, we're meeting Manu, the captain of the Defiant Duchess, who's kind of a swashbuckler. <laughs> he seems very fun, kind of like a Han Solo character. So this is a good echo of the first paragraph structure-wise, introducing our second main character in the same format as the first. It implies in the mind of the reader that they get equal weight. And I have actually read this manuscript because Lou is a client of mine. So I know that they both have a point of view. 
If you do have two characters that each get their own point of view, it's good to introduce them in similar ways because it just signals to whoever's reading the query that they get that equal weight. So given the similarities in structure, I have sort of the same note here, just more on his specific goal. We know Manu hasn't seen enough excitement, so is that what he wants, more adventures? That's great, but the author can just spell it out here. Then in terms of terminology and world building, I just want to know what the Defiant Duchess is. I mean, I'm guessing a ship, and it says as much in the next paragraph, but it's probably some kind of cool steampunk ship. So the author could add something like Captain of the Airship Defiant Duchess or whatever it is to clue the reader in a bit more and do a little subtle world building. Same with the uprising. The author could include a brief tag that explains it a bit more, like the uprising of the oppressed enchanted or whatever the case may be. Now we move on to Manu's mission to work side by side with Percy. So this paragraph has more great cause and effect structures. We see what sets off the action, the parameters of his goal, and the stakes. If Manu fails, he loses the ship and Percy might die. So the bones here are in good shape. There are just a few places that need clarity or specificity. For example, the passive voice of he's given the mission conceals who is doing the giving. That's how passive voice works. We don't know who's telling Manu what to do. This is a big deal because it's something he's not really equipped to do and becomes a struggle for him. So I wanna know who's handing out this assignment. In other words, who's in charge of him? Who does he have to answer to? And I think this issue could be solved by addressing something else later in the paragraph. I don't quite understand the dynamic between Ivy, the uprising unit, and Manu. Who's in charge of whom? Mentioning Ivy earlier to clarify the hierarchy might help on both sides. And I think the rhetorical questions at the end of this paragraph can go too. I think they just work better phrased as statements. Something like, but to succeed, he'll have to keep his growing feelings for Personet and his own maverick tendencies in check. But again, like, better written. Now we get to the meta paragraph, which is pretty great. The information is all here, genre, age category, word count, and good comp titles. And we have series potential, a phrase I like a lot. If you're writing a book that you hope will be a series, it's best to phrase it this way. A publisher is more likely to test the waters with one book and then maybe put out subsequent volumes if it does well than it is to sign up five books from an unknown author. That's like a 10-year commitment and a kind of big financial risk. So saying series potential when you're seeking traditional publication shows that you have more ideas in store, but that this one book could stand on its own. And if a publisher only wants to publish one book, this book will work. My one note is to look for a more succinct way to phrase growing into the role fate has given you as one of the themes, just because it's a bit clunky. It feels like a concept that should have a single word to describe it, but I can't think of one. I feel like there's like a German word for it or something. Thanks so much, Lou. Hey, so just a quick welcome to all new listeners, by the way. If you haven't had a chance to check out the archive, there are 14 more episodes at thequeryshow.com or on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. We also have a Patreon that you can join, which is basically how I sustain the show. There's a lot of bonus episodes there, interviews with agents, authors, and other publishing people that are definitely worth checking out. I love doing those episodes because I end up relearning things I thought I knew about publishing and just talking with really smart people. So if you've been listening to the show for a while and getting some value out of it, I really hope you'll head out there and check it out. Thanks.
Our second fantasy query today comes from Kellyara. Thank you for sending. Dear Agent, in a world where mages are the ruling class, Alay, the last dreamwalker, raised by Vladimir Chivovsky after the loss of her parents at a young age, spends her nights working at the Chivovsky bathhouse and her days exploring the dreams of others. With the reappearance of the mysterious Lady Dream, as well as the arrival of a letter from her deceased mother, Alay tries to uncover the truth behind her parents' deaths and her family's magical heritage. She sets herself down a path where if she fails to finish what her parents started, Earth's magic will run dry. With the help of a gifted librarian named Jeannie and Damon, a blue-blood mage with conjuring abilities, they follow the clues and work to solve each piece of the puzzle, all the while learning the struggles of perseverance, discrimination, and identity. But unknown to Alay and her friends, an ancient darkness follows close behind. Daughter of Dream, a novel of 109,315 words, is a fanciful adventure fantasy which will appeal to readers of Percy Jackson and Begone the Raggedy Witches. Born in South Africa, I was raised by an English teacher who nurtured my love of reading, writing, and research. My love of storytelling I blame on my two younger brothers, who, as youngsters, I spent hours entertaining. Though I do love my country dearly, publishing houses here do not consider fantasy manuscripts. My love of fantasy, which is sold here and available in libraries, legends, and myth, is stronger than the desire to fit in with my country's guidelines of what I am allowed to write. Thank you for your time and consideration. All right, so back to the top. We meet L.A. the Dreamwalker, who spends her nights at the bathhouse and her days exploring dreams. So my overall note for this query is that it can slow down a bit. It's only about 280 words, which is by no means too long. It's actually really on the short side. And so I think expansion in general will help clarify the plot, add depth to the characters, and smooth out some of the phrasing. So here in this first paragraph, we have a good baseline description of L.A.'s ordinary world, which is grounding and helpful. We know what kind of world she lives in and how she spends her days and nights. But structurally, the flow of the information is a bit choppy. For example, the fact that she was raised by Vladimir Chivovsky is in parentheses, and this makes it seem like an aside or an interruption, not something that we should focus on necessarily. But it's important information and can by all means take its own sentence. There's no need to condense yet. It also implies that the name Vladimir Chivovsky is someone we're supposed to know, but we don't know who this person is. So adding something like the bathhouse owner, Vladimir Chivovsky, or whatever his role is in the world or in the story in front of his name will help us out. We're also not quite getting the goal, motivation, and conflict for L.A. She's the last of her kind and an orphan and lives in a world ruled by mages. But what does she want? Even before the inciting incident and the plot proper kicks off, a character should have some kind of desire and a reason for wanting that thing. Even if that goal is something as abstract as freedom or independence, that's something to be mentioned explicitly. That gives the character direction. Then we have the arrival of the mysterious lady dream and a letter from her deceased mother. Things are happening thick and fast. LA's world is thrown for a loop here. That's what happens in the second paragraph. Stuff gets complicated. So my first suggestion is to change the nouns in the first sentence into verbs. With the followed by reappearance and arrival sounds static, even though what's being described is literally action. This isn't passive voice in a grammatical sense, but it is hiding what the actor of the sentence is. This is a prime place to use the when X then Y type phrasing, which we saw in the first query, and that could give the paragraph a jolt of energy and dynamism. 
Similarly, finds herself set down a path is just kind of vague. Again, it's not really passive voice grammatically, at least I don't think, <laughs> but it is concealing who's the active force behind this course of events. Did Alay make a decision that led her to this path? Was she forced to do something? And what did her parents start? There's just a lot that isn't clear. Also, at this point, I'm wondering what, if anything, Vladimir has to do with any of this. If he doesn't turn out to be a big factor in most of the plot, he might not need to be mentioned by name. When you name a character in a query, as opposed to calling them her best friend or her adoptive father or something like that, it draws attention to that character as a significant one. But not all characters are going to be significant, at least on the bird's eye level of a query. So you only want to name them if their name is going to come up later. Now in the third paragraph, we meet the librarian, Jeannie, Damon the Blue Blood Mage, and follow them as they put the clues together and try to solve the mystery. So I often talk about on the show how the third paragraph of the query is where everything comes to a head. The stakes intensify to the breaking point, the character has to make a choice about how to proceed, but it's hard to get to that make or break moment without a clear sense of the parameters of the goal and conflict. And at this point, I'm not sure I have any of that. Which is all to say, what does it mean to uncover the truth and solve the puzzle? What exactly is L.A. doing when she's investigating her parents? What are the individual clues? Is she going on a journey, looking through books in a library, something else? If it were a movie trailer, what would the montage be of her during this investigation? This author could focus on using language that is concrete and an action that the reader can visualize L.A. doing here. In the same vein, I don't quite feel like I know what it means to learn the struggles of perseverance, discrimination, and identity. Those two could also stand to become more concrete and visual. Think again of that movie montage. In this world, what do those struggles entail specifically? Also, on a phrasing note, both this paragraph and the preceding paragraph start with with the, and I made some suggestions on how to rephrase the preceding paragraph, but here too, I'd change this opening sentence. As with the parenthetical and Vladimir, with the is introducing new characters in an aside kind of phrasing, not an action. They're with something, they're not the main focus. So we don't see how she meets Jeannie and Damon, they just appear after the with. So using more action and agency on LA's part to introduce their roles in the story, that'll just help the reader grasp where they're literally coming from and how and why they join LA and become her friends. Now in the meta paragraph, we have the title, the word count, the genre, and some comp titles. So a few things about this. First, the word count can get rounded to the nearest thousand words, just for neatness sake. That's generally the practice. Second, what is the age category here? Both of the comp titles are middle grade fantasy, but because this word count is so long and because the age category isn't mentioned, I'm not really clear if this is middle grade too. So that's something that the author should include. Now in the bio paragraph, it's pretty nicely done. A small background on what inspired the author to start writing. I would suggest that the author include any publication history or writing organization affiliations or any kind of writing credits they have. Basically any professional resume type info that they have so far as a writer even if this is their first novel. Now, I also don't know that it's necessary to specify why they're querying outside of their home country of South Africa. Granted, I am not especially familiar with South African publishing houses, but my point is just that this information doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the story or the manuscript, and it's only tangential to the author's professional background. So 
it doesn't really need to be mentioned. And because this query is so short, I'd rather see the author use those words elsewhere to deepen other parts of the query. The story is always most important, and I think people sweat the last paragraphs a lot, but those are kind of the mechanical parts of your query where you're just filling in blanks. When in doubt, make the plot summary the bulk of your word count in your query. Thanks so much. And with that, I send you off into your April Fool's Day. May you be incredibly ungullible. Thanks again to our authors for being brave. And if you too feel brave and like you'd like some critique for your query, you can head to thequeryshow.com and click on submit a query for the show. Also definitely tell your friends because the more writers listen to this, the more variety of queries I get. And like you see, I like to pair them up genre by genre. I'm always looking for romance. I have some great ones in the queue, but I keep getting more. And so I need them to all pair off as romances want to. Other than that, you can find me on Twitter at a tall order. I know I've had it forever. And check out the rest of our episodes in our archives. Peace out. Mm -hmm.